Hey, everybody. Welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. We are missionaries at Acts 29, and this is the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. Mary, how are you? I'm doing great, Father John. We're competing with the tree trimmers today. I mean, you never know what's going to be around uh, the office, do you? And I just wanted to let everybody know you're a, you're a year older than, oh, I'm than so you were much the last time than I we was had. last week. Oh, <laughs> you gosh. were on the last podcast. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, I firmly believe that every momentous occasion, like uh, a birthday, should be celebrated not just for a day, but for, <laughs> for eight days. For an entire so, octave. Yeah, we're still very much in the throes of the octave, and I'm milking it for everything I can. So, thanks. ongoing birthday blessings to you, Father John. Grateful. Thank you very much. Hey, um, we got an interesting little topic this week as we prepare for the celebration of Corpus Christi. What's our title? I do. I love it. It's very provocative. Uh, Our topic today is Worldly Minds with Catholic Patches. Worldly Minds with Catholic Patches. Yeah, we're stealing that from a friend of ours because we steal everything. We're going to give him credit, though, in just a few minutes. No, we're actually not. But anyway, (laughs) we're going to break it open, and uh, hopefully this will be a helpful way for us to enter into this uh, great celebration that we're going to have this coming weekend and this three-year initiative of the bishops and we're going to talk a little bit about that amen so uh, why don't we pray shall we sounds great in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen father we uh we thank you for these days this time that we're living in especially as we draw near to the the great feast of the body blood soul and divinity of jesus uh, given to us every day if we desire hidden under the appearance of bread and wine we ask in a special way that what we're about to do right now would be Uh, covered with your Holy Spirit, that you'd anoint our conversation, that it would be edifying, encouraging, and inspiring to those who are listening. And we pray, Father, that you continue to send your Holy Spirit upon us to help us to see, help us to see clearly all of reality as you have created it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. So uh, what are we talking about? Like, set this up. Yeah, so the USCCB is launching um, this National Eucharistic Revival. And it's launching on the Feast of Corpus Christi. And they're approaching this with a multi-year strategic vision about how we can grow in and fall in love again with Jesus in the Eucharist. Yeah, that's right. So the bishops of the United States, for those who don't know what the USCCB is, uh, that's the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops, um, they're aware of the fact that uh, we have some challenges right now in the church, and uh, one of them is uh, an understanding of the Eucharist. And so they've launched, just like you say, this initiative. It's going to start this coming weekend right? on the Feast Feast of of Corpus Corpus Christi, Christi. and it's going to culminate in 2024 in July in Indianapolis with a, a National Eucharistic Congress. I don't. I think the last one was in Philadelphia in 1976. I think I don't. Someone might correct me on that, mm-hmm. but I do remember uh, John Paul. He wasn't Pope John Paul yet, uh, but he was there uh, for that event, um, if I remember correctly. Um, but I'm old now, so my mind is fading. That's so that, right. that might not be there. You not only have a worldly mind, you have an older mind. I have an older no. mind, yeah. So anyway, uh, they're, they're hoping for about 100,000 people or just shy of that in Indianapolis. But each year is dedicated to a different level. So I think the first year starting this coming weekend uh, is going to be focused on a diocesan level. Right. There's going to be a lot of... Uh, there's a there's a huge call from bishops around the country for Eucharistic processions, which used to be a normal thing in parishes. Many not so years much. ago. Yeah, now it's it's more of a rarity. So I know we're doing one here in the Archdiocese of Detroit. 
we're going to be down in Columbus for the rescue project, right? That's right. And the new bishop is going to be uh, present at least for part of that day, and he's going to. I think we'll he's going to be leading. We'll have a procession there. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So, and then they've they've trained, and I'm not sure who these people are, um, but my understanding is they've trained a number of priests. They're calling them uh, national Eucharistic preachers, who are going to be available for different dioceses. To, to preach on not just the Eucharist, but I think to really break open the scriptures and to just preach the gospel to people. So that's going to start this coming weekend. Then next year, it's going to be focused more at a parish level. And then finally, that last year, uh, 2024, it's going to be focused on a national level. And that's what's going to culminate in the uh, in the Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis. This is just an exceptional uh, exceptional initiative and so needed. Can I go back to something that we were talking about earlier? We were talking about the statistics. Something like I think um, the Pew uh, Research did um, a, a, a poll, I think in 2019, um, that the belief in the real presence was something like 70% of the people don't believe in yeah, it's close to presence. yeah. It's it's something like that. Seventy percent. It it, it it this is a confusing poll because of the way the questions were written. Worded. Yeah. Right. But yeah, nevertheless, it's clearly. a it's a problem. Yeah. And, and and why why are we here? Why is that statistic? Why is this so sobering? How did we get here? Yeah, I mean it, that's a, probably a million dollar question. I'm not sure that there's an answer. I th- I think um, many people try to explain that we have such abysmally low belief in the real presence because people haven't been taught. And I don't think that's true, actually. Like, I, I don't think the problem is that people haven't been taught that um, the Eucharist is the real presence of Jesus. I, I think the problem, I've, I've heard a, a priest friend of mine say it this way, and I think he's spot on. I think the problem is people just don't believe it. And that's the point of the, the title of our episode, you know, this this idea that uh, Frank Sheed said, I think back in the 1950s, that most of us have, mo- I would include myself in this category, we have mostly worldly minds, meaning we see most of reality the same way the world does. And then we have some like Catholic patches in there. That's so apropos. When we first came across that quote from him, I thought that has been my experience uh, certainly, hopefully less so the older I got, but certainly in my formative years when I was being taught the faith, that's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, we just heard somebody say last week we were at a, a priest retreat for the Archdiocese of Kansas City, and I think one of the guys there said, um, most of us probably think politically um, or think more politically than we do Biblically. Half, yeah, biblically. Yeah, that would right. be the way to say it. I think, that's, I think that's true. I mean, and I think the reason for that is because um, we are assaulted all day, every day, with a worldly mindset. And uh, and most of us, you know, tragically, like, you know, just take a, a typical week. How much time do you spend reading scripture or reading, you know, like serious Catholic reading versus how much time do you spend, you know, listening to the news, reading the news, watching TV? And, and what we put into our minds has an impact, yeah, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I think, too, maybe it, maybe it's just the last two years of COVID. I'm not sure. Um, but I think we have a hyper-scientific culture, too, mm. uh, Father John, where, where it's very difficult for us to get our minds around to believe in that which what we can't see. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, I, I don't think it's limited to COVID by any means. I think we, we have a fascination with science. Mm-hmm. I think what COVID is, 
has kind of highlight is, um, you know, like you, you see these signs everywhere, like trust the science. Well, I mean, if you trust the science, then then you should understand that the child growing in the, in the womb, womb is, is, is a human is, is being. A baby. You know? That's right. Right? So, so much for trust the science. So we're a little erratic on that. But um, science is a great gift, and, and, and the church is one of the pioneers of science. That's why, you know, it's because of belief in creation coming from God and that all of creation speaks of God that that the church led the way in wanting to know as much as we can because all of reality reveal something about who God is, right? So science is an amazing gift. It just can't answer all of the the challenges of reality, as helpful as it is, right? right. You right, can't right. reduce truth to scientific truth. If, if that's the case, what do you do with love? Yeah, like, how, do you, how, yeah how do you explain that? Is it just molecules working in the brain like how, how do we how do we get our head around those kinds of uh, those kinds of things right you know, right you so know, so I think back to your question like why is this why are the statistics so abysmally low I, we would say in Acts 29 this is uh, one of those uh, essential principles that we talk about all the time for transformation in the church it really does boil down to we just don't have a biblical worldview which is not limited to like, I understand what the gospel is, you know, the way we preach the gospel. It means seeing all of reality with a biblical mind to understand that reality is always more than what we can see, right? Right, everything is always more than it appears and it's a combination of both matter and spirit. Yeah, right, right? And, and the Eucharist is, uh, as again, a, a priest friend of ours says, I love this line, you know, it's everything is always more than it appears and and the eucharist rather than being like some strange exception to what we always encounter in life it's actually simply the i use that word carefully um the most intense expression of what's always happening right i love that you know father john you were talking earlier about you know in our ministry you know we talk about the importance of having like this biblical worldview and um, those of you who have been listening to these conversations for a while now know that we're big fans of uh, the book From Christendom to Apostolic, which was published by a very good friend of ours, Monsignor Shea, at the University of Mary. And there's elements in here, there, there's a section in this book that speaks very explicitly to this need of recovering a sacramental vision of reality. Do you want to talk about some of what 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 what, what we have in here? Yeah, let me share this. So, uh as you mentioned, we we love this book. It's it's really something like an extended essay mm-hmm. is more what it is, and it's it's just um, it's a great gift to the church right now to just help us understand uh, what's the pastoral response to the challenges that we find ourselves in. And I think what um, I'm going to hesitate to do this. I'm going to I'm going to read kind of an extended excerpt. Consider this part of the podcast something like. Uh, books on tape. So here's Amazon's Audible okay, coming your way. <laughs> but but here's why. So um, you know, it's often been said that the best educated Catholics are usually converts, because at an adult level they make a decision to learn the faith, and um, they come into the church going through this intense process of you know RCIA in the parish where we were at. We called it becoming Catholic. Someone said, why do you call it that? I'm like, well, because that's what it's about. It's about becoming Catholic. And nobody who's not in the church understands what RCIA means. Why would I join that? Anyway, so you got people who are uh, making a decision at an adult level to come into the faith. And so they take extended amounts of time to learn. And the reason that's so significant is most, many, 
lots of Catholics have something like an eighth grade level of education with regards to the faith, because that's where they stopped learning, right? And so it's no wonder that many of us struggle with things. And Catholicism is a thinking faith, you know? Um, not that we don't believe, but it, like it, it's extraordinarily, um, I, I hesitate the word, to use the word intellectual, but it wants to engage the mind. It does the mind, the mind. Right? it does, absolutely. And what we know more and more now from you know brain science, the, the brain at you know like junior high level is still far less than adequately formed, right? And it requires effort. You know, you were mentioning those that come into the church are, are far more informed and than we are as cradle Catholics. They come in because they've done the work and, and, and I think, too, Father John, there's a crisis of critical thinking anyway. Yeah. And it requires real effort to come to understand some, some of the most important, meaningful things in life. Yeah, that's, that, that's spot on. So, so what we're about to share might seem, in the words of, uh, of a guy that we knew uh, back in the parish, a little chewy for some people. But um, good. You know, let it stretch the way you think, right? So, so listening on this, we've now shifted to books on tape. Um, and let's let uh, the authors of From Christendom to Apostolic Mission um, prepare us for this celebration of Corpus Christi and this three-year Eucharistic revival. Beautiful. So here's, here's what the authors say. In an apostolic time, which is a time like the one we're living in right now, those who present the gospel, now this is whether you're a pastor, whether you're a mom, a dad with children, whether you're a teacher, whatever it is, should assume that the majority of their hearers are unconverted or half-converted in mind and imagination and have embraced to some degree the dominant non-Christian vision. Now, that might seem in, um, condemning to some people, but, I mean, I hold myself guilty of that. Like, that's, that's why the title of the episode is what it is. In other words, most of us have mostly worldly minds, I, I think, more or less the way the world does about most things. That, I think if most of us are honest, I think we'd say that. So the new evangelization, the authors write, aims at the renewal of the mind, okay? Because it recognizes that people's minds have been barraged by a daily onslaught of false gospels leading to confusion and distraction away from invisible realities to concerns solely of this world. Now, we want to be careful here. The concerns of this world are... Matter. Yeah, they're, they're concerning. That's right. <laughs> right? Like, we, we should be, you know, like, uh, I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day. And we should be informed and engaged. Yeah, she was saying, like, she knew a guy who was a, a devout guy and not Catholic, and uh, he was studying for an exam one time, and she said, hey, are you prepared for the exam? And he says, yeah, I think so. I've just kind of given up, though, because this is all going to burn. Oh, my God! And she looked at him like, I don't think that's the attitude we're supposed to have about the world, right? Oh, but I think we can have that right. attitude. So the, the authors go on to say, preaching in an apostolic age needs to begin with the appeal to a completely different way of seeing things. It needs to offer a different narrative. This is what the, the Rescue Project's all about, right? We're, we're just proposing a different lens, a different worldview. So a different narrative concerning the great human drama. It needs to aim to put into place the key elements of the integrated Christian vision of the world within which the moral and spiritual disciplines that the church imposes find their place. And then they, they, they go on to talk about how 
it's because of this that it's really dangerous right now uh, to lead with moral teaching. So there's a lot of people right now, you, you go into a church and you hear the church's teaching on whatever the moral issue is, and it, and it can actually just make people angry sometimes. Well, why? Well, because they there's don't... no foundation for them to build yeah, on. They right. haven't heard the story. That's right. Yet. They, they're still seeing reality through a lens that is mostly worldly, right? So then they jump to the, the, the issue at hand, which is the Eucharist. And so they, they go on to say, to take an example outside the moral realm that still touches on it and elucidates a need of the time, it's often noted that a large percentage of Catholics in America don't believe in the doctrine of the real presence. They look at the Eucharist as symbolically and ritually meaningful, but not as a transformation of bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. Some in the church respond to this situation by saying that we need to be clear about what the church teaches. That's what we were talking about earlier, right? right? Their view is that apparently many people don't know what that teaching is. While there may be simple ignorance of church teaching in play here, a more significant factor is the lack of a sacramental vision of the world. And we would say that's part of the biblical worldview, right, is to have a sacramental vision of reality. Living in our culture, this is still the book, and embracing its ruling vision, such Catholics have assumed as self-evident a materialistic, quote-unquote, scientific view. If a thing looks like bread, tastes like bread, has the chemical composition of bread, then it's bread. A priest saying some prayers in the midst of a particular rite doesn't change that. Likely enough, many Catholics who say they believe what the Church teaches about the Eucharist, in fact, don't quite. That's the proposal here. They may acknowledge it out of a desire to be obedient, but it has no real meaning for them. They would not know how to go about defending it, and their conviction is fragile and easily lost. So here, here's, here's how they, they conclude this section. So this is chewy again, but this is worth our reflection on, I think, as we continue to press into what, um, what the church is calling for in this three-year revival. And what, what needs to happen if this revival is going to be effective, that's the key, right? So they go on to argue, what is necessary here is a conversion of mind to a sacramental vision of the world. Not just at mass, but all the time we are living in a sacramental reality we inhabit both a visible and an invisible world. We make our way through an intermingling of the seen and unseen such that what happens on the visible plane has implications in the vast invisible world. This, this is beautiful to me, I think. Our bodies are sacramental, a mingling of the spiritual and the material. The Catholic understanding of what and how we eat what we do sexually, how we treat those who are sick or dead, are pointers toward the way the whole world works. Plunging a person into water really can, under the right circumstances, transfer an immortal soul from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We walk in the presence of powerful, invisible, angelic beings, not only when we might happen to think about them, but all the time. Touching another person involves two beings in spiritually meaningful contact. The world is, I love this line here, the world is an enchanted and dangerous and momentous place. 
in which we are working out an incomprehensibly high destiny that transcends space and time. This view of the world is consonant with what natural sciences have discovered, but it also goes beyond it. And once the realm beyond the natural world is seen and embraced, a whole set of doctrines become easier to understand and to believe. That, that I, I can't like give a resounding amen loud enough to all that. I think that is that is exactly what what needs to happen. Like so, we we want to ask the Lord to give us this kind of a mind, right? To help me to see. And, and that's what hopefully in this uh, three-year revival that's beginning this coming weekend, uh, those who are going to be preaching are really going to try to embrace. And hopefully, you know, as we, you know, whether you're a mom, a dad, a teacher, a pastor, that's what we're going to set ourselves to in these years is, Lord, help us to have our minds transformed. You know, it goes back to Romans 12. Do not let your minds be squeezed into um, the, the mentality of this world, but rather be transformed um, by the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. First of all, amen to that. First of all, thanks for sharing what you shared um, out of uh, from Christendom to Apostolic Mission. J- just a thought as I'm listening to you unpack some of that is I can't help but think if we um, press into this sacramental vision of reality, of of the world that not only will we have a deeper and fuller understanding in the real presence but that's i would imagine that's going to change the way we see the world in general Mm. um the way we see creation the way we see another human person the way we see the other sacraments the way we experience the other sacraments I think we live in a time right now where we've divorced the, the visible with the invisible and, and perhaps a byproduct of this three-year initiative is that perhaps maybe Father John will all be more fully alive to the glory that is God's creation, not just out in the world, but in one another. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. May that happen, please, God. I mean, reality is, I love that expression, reality is an enchanted place. Oh, indeed it is. You know, like even now as we're doing this podcast, there are at least four persons in this room. Absolutely. You know, you, me, and your guardian and angel, guardian my angels. guardian angel, and then there's probably a few other persons mingling around too. But um, like that's reality. That's not like some cute little fairy tale. That's reality. And, 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 and to understand that is to embrace beauty. Yeah. Right. I mean, j- just the beauty of creation, looking out and seeing, you know, the flowers and, and all the signposts of spring. God is revealing himself in all of that. And wouldn't that be something is this? Mm. Uh, and, and let's pray that that. I mean, many graces will flow from this initiative, I would imagine, but I think it could have an enormous impact yeah, you know, on you know, our culture. I, I love the way you, you brought that up. Let me let me close with a, a quick little story and then an encouragement, maybe, maybe the encouragement first. The encouragement might be, as we prepare to head into this celebration of Corpus Christi, um, ask your guardian angel to intercede for you, mm. to understand the Eucharist. I love that, Father John. You know, it, 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 we, we just celebrated Pentecost not too long ago, and, and I heard one person uh, once describe, I think it was Sister Breesh McKenna, saying, you know, the purpose of the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, or one of the purposes, I should say, is to open your eyes to the presence of Jesus in the sacraments. Um, I, that's always just a really mm-hmm. profound statement, I think. Mm-hmm. But maybe just ask your guardian angel. You know, Jesus tells us that, you know, your guardian angel beholds your heavenly Father's face all day long. So... Ask that person, it's not a him or a her because it's an angel, so it's not, you know, male or female. 
uh, help me to see like what's going on here. Like when you go to mass, next time you go to mass, just make a short prayer to your guardian angel. Like help me to get what's going on here, you know? And that comes to mind because I remember when I was uh, maybe three, four years ordained and uh, the Cardinal here in Detroit, Cardinal Midas sent me back to study because they keep sending the dumb guys back. So Hardly. <laughs> I went back to study at the John Paul II Institute in Washington, D.C. And I lived in the uh, Jesuit house there at Gonzaga and uh, great guys who took care of me that really welcomed me in. But I often celebrated mass um, privately uh, because of the situation in the house and my study, study schedule. Never alone, privately, because you're never alone when you celebrate mass. And I remember one day, uh, it was just me in the chapel in terms of people you could see anyway. And, uh, you know, I, I elevated the host and then I genuflected and I was about to get up. And I, in a way that I've never experienced my guardian angel before, like I could sense on the other side of the altar, my guardian angel. And I, I heard this voice very gently, not condemning, but convicting say to me, it was something like, um, John, I'm still genuflecting. <laughs> oh, you might want to stay down a little longer. Oh my <laughs> It was so overwhelming. It's just, I, and it was just kind of like, mm. I, I was really, that's so powerful. I was really odd, you know, as I heard this. And I just kind of went back down. And it's always been with me when I celebrate Mass. You know, like the, the, the angels are there. You know, that's, that's why we begin the Eucharistic prayer with that holy, holy, holy. Oh. So can I say something? I, I know you. I know we want no, to wrap this done. up. I know you want to wrap this up. So you know, I, I'm just in, in my mind. I, I'm like going there in three years, like imagining walking into um, our Catholic parish and watching three years into this the reverence that we will have when we come into church and we genuflect again. Mm -hmm. That it, that it won't be perhaps rote. Yeah. Again, that maybe we'll linger a little bit longer. We'll be a little bit more intentional with the sign of the cross. We'll be a little bit more intentional about wasting time mm -hmm. in uh, before the Blessed Sacrament. And we'll, you know, I'm just thinking about the glory that we could see in a church transformed because now we understand that Jesus Christ truly is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and our bodies will reflect that awe and that wonder and that mystery. Yeah, and who, and who is, is, you'll remember this uh, better than me because I'm old now, um, who, who's the person who walks into a Catholic church and sees somebody sitting there in the middle of the afternoon? One of the saints, I want to say it's Edith Stein, but I don't it was, think, was it, it was Stein? it was Edith Stein. So there were a number of things that led to her conversion from um, you know from Judaism into Catholicism and then becoming a, a Carmelite. But one of them was walking into a church in the middle of the afternoon, or maybe just seeing somebody and walk witnesses, into a church. Witnesses, witnesses. It was a woman just just kneeling in church, yeah. praying, and like so, in her mind, this brilliant, brilliant mind that she had. What would cause that person yeah. to come into this empty church in the middle of the day yeah. and simply to be here? Yeah, something's drawing the person here, and, and, and it's not something, it's someone, someone. it's Jesus, who, Amen. who hides himself under bread, because if we saw him as he really is, our minds would just explode, because we can't possibly take mm. him in. That's how beautiful God is. Oh, this has been a great conversation. I love Thanks, it. Thanks, Father John. So let's pray. Let's pray for uh, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us all this coming weekend for Corpus Christi that uh, through the intercession of our guardian angels and all the saints, we would we'd just be able to see like what's going on at Mass. And then let's pray for this Eucharistic revival, this three-year plan that the bishops are calling for. And may what you just broke open, may that be a reality. May, uh, may we all come to, uh, to a more profound 
awareness of just what we're living in and of the the beauty that a sacramental vision of reality is. Amen, Father John. Because all of this that we're talking about is true. This isn't cute little fairy tales. It's all real. Do not be afraid. God is with you, and you were born for this. 